Hello and welcome to Anime Archives with your host, Ernest and John. Ernest, and we're back. How are you yes, doing? Yes, I'm doing good. Uh, I got my last quarter of school's about to be done. Well, not my last quarter of school, but last of this summer quarter. I only got one class to uh, get some stuff done, so I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to have a break, f- finish some video games, watch some anime, and yeah. And keep life. on keeping enjoy, on. Enjoy my little summer before I have to start interning as a school assistant. Why do you got to say it like that? School assistant? Yeah. <laughs> like a te- a student a teacher. Yeah, yeah, student teacher. There we go. Well, we have, I think, more of a pleasant treat on this episode yeah. because we're kind of we're diving back into the archives, going back into a series that we grew up on that was kind of uh, one of our small introductions to anime. Mm. And I actually remember watching the original movie to what we're about to talk about when it came out. Uh, not right when it came out, probably maybe 2010. Mm, no, it was probably like 2006 or seven, actually. And it made no sense to me. I just remember, mm-hmm. like, the heavy CGI, for instance, and the setting. But the concept of what they were talking about, I don't think really registered. So the fact that we're coming back, revisiting the the series itself, uh, I was really excited about. And the main topic of our conversation tonight, or today, is Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. But we will also uh, mildly be going through a little bit of the movie as well just because uh, it is a continuation after that movie. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm really excited. The The whole point of Ghost in the Shell, it's more cyberpunk style. Yeah. And anything that deals with cyberpunk <laughs> immediately has my attention no matter what it is. Mm. I love the style. I love <clears throat> the future in terms of uh, the technology that's involved, whether it's the hyper-surveillance, uh, the people that are becoming uh, cyborgs and robots, the loss of kind of humanity. That type of concept or um, topic to me is incredibly fascinating. Mm. And in a world in Ghost in the Shell where 60% on up has a cybernetic enhancement, you're more of an outcast if you don't have that. It's an incredibly fascinating period for me in terms of um, what compared to what we're used to. Because a lot of anime that I naturally watch is usually centered in the past. It's swords, there's dragons, there's knights, it's demons. You know, it's more like fantasy. This one, it's sci-fi. I mean, there's a touch of reality to it because I think it takes place in a 20... Yeah, it takes place in 2030. 2030? Yeah. So this anime takes place not too long, you know, into the future for us, <laughs> which is really crazy. I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to have this, this cyber uh, yeah, in ten, enhancement in, ten years. in just 10 years, but we could be a little bit closer to getting to that in within 10 years. Mm-hmm. So Ghost in the Shell is standalone complex is a... a 52 episode anime that originally started running October 1st in 2002 to January 8th, uh, 2005. It has two OVAs that's based off the kind of a recap of the plot that happens in the anime. So if you watch the anime all the way through, you don't really need to watch the OVAs. Okay. And then there was a movie afterwards called Solid State Society, which is based off... um, Based off the ending of Ghost in the Shell 2, it takes place a few years after uh, the sequence in the second uh, season of Ghost in the Shell. So, it's really cool. I mean, just the fact that they keep going. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the new Ghost in the Shell standalone complex that they dropped 2020 continues after that. But the art style... Uh, 
You mean the Arise stuff? The I new, think that, yeah, that it continues because yeah. it's called Standalone Complex. Arise, Standalone Complex? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so I know that new animation people help. And I, and I, I guess I saw, I saw some stuff about that. What's weird about uh, Ghost in the Shell, like you were saying, like for you, you love like the cyberpunk and uh, you know all the elements of the world it interests you. But like you, I had the same thing where I saw as a, when I was younger and I was like, the show's too complicated for me. I, I, I just need some punch punch. Uh, easy, simple plot lines to follow, and I guess that's why I love Dragon Ball Z more. And then when Ghost in the Show came on, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm changing the channel because I don't get what's going on." Uh, but now watching it now, just like, damn, this show's really good. And the 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 small messages in between episodes are really cool. How they do things. When I think of Ghost in the Shell, I think of right after that, I want they had like Cowboy Bebop on because mm-hmm. this premiered for us on Adult Swim. Yeah, and so this was our major interaction was we would be staying up late and watching a very complicated anime, uh, where most of us were pretty tired anyway. Because again, yeah. I didn't get most of the real concepts behind most of these episodes. I mean, I, I always was interested in like the main antagonist, the Laughing Man. Yeah, but I never really got the depth of him until I started watching it as an adult. And what was what's cool though is just the fact that there's to me a lot of similarities between this anime and some of the golden ones of our youth, like Cowboy Bebop, uh, Witch Hunter Robin, what came on like immediately after this, mm-hmm. and a few others where it just like really kind of pumps me up because again, Adult Swim was pumping them out. I mean, there was a lot of uh, anime that Adult Swim pumped out that just pumped me up. FLCL, for instance. And they all had different uh, tones to it. And Ghost in the Shell was the only cyberpunk tone that I that I noticed for years. Yeah. I mean, even now, if you look at like cyberpunk anime, there's a handful of them out there. I mean, they're def- they definitely exist. But I would say the main face of that genre has to be Ghost in the Shell. Mm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, Ghost in the Shell... Um, what this it's about is it's about it centers around a um, a team called Section Nine that works for the government that solves random cyber cyberpunk style cases or cyber crimes. The cases go anywhere from hacking people's implants or hacking their eyes to actual real terrorism, and it's one of those things where they each episode they kind of go through a different case sometimes the cases are connected if it deals with uh kind of going back to like the laughing man but also a lot of the times for instance uh the cases singular yeah they're more like, singular you know, at that point one episode done. and uh, kind of going into that what would you prefer okay i mean do you prefer an anime that has more singular episodes at this point or do you prefer an anime where they have something consistent because if you have singular episodes it's easy to get new people involved but if you have a consistent story then at that point it provides a lot more depth and i know there is some anime like jintama that actually do it to where it's a lot of singular episodes and then at that point then they'll do like a random arc in the Mm. middle where it's like nine episodes of really serious intense action and drama and then they'll go back to singular episodes and ghost in the shell also does that really well uh too in terms of a couple random episodes kind of a small arc you know five and then it goes back Back to a couple different episodes and again it will probably connect later on but it was just one of those things that I noticed. So what do you prefer? Um, it really has to depend on, I, I say, the setting and how uh, the story is supposed to take place. Um, with Ghost in the Shell, it's about this, you know, this uh, government secret organization, Section 9, 
and how they, you know, deal with certain crimes and stuff. So I liked that uh, they have all these other cases, but they're called to do special things and look into things on like the singular episode one. But overall, there's a big hidden present one in the background that they'd be like, hey, we need a sale. And they kind of mention even the singular episodes, they mention a little bit like, yeah, we're still looking into how he was able to do that, uh, Laughing Man and stuff like that. So I find it's interesting because it makes me think of like a real case. Like court case, cases don't get aren't uh, a singular linear line of this is how you can solve it real quick. It might it might take years to really build up and learn more stuff about it. So it really really comes down to a hey, you have to uh, you have to present a world that uh, these people are doing this job and overall they're going to try to figure out. But any information that comes up, how are they going to solve it? Uh, and Laughing Man, the, to build up the suspense, I think they do a great job. Is like he doesn't leave that much evidence behind, and the people, uh, the people that they thought they were going to have, die, uh, something happens to them, and that's like, oh, it's a dead end now. Then what? What happens? You can't just go in the streets and just start randomly talking to people. It's something that builds up over and all. So, although I, I think I like it in this uh, in Ghost in the Shell. And honestly, I can't think of any other show that does something like this besides like court ones. Like that does these episodes where there's singular episodes and court cases. I always feel like it works with the setting of the story. I haven't found an anime where it seemed. I would say uh, Gintama, obviously, or Gintama stands out for me. Space Dandy, I know, does this. Uh, Cowboy Bebop also does this in terms of there was singular episodes through most of it because it dealt with, you know, uh, bounties. Yeah, the case Uh, closed. Outlaw Star uh, mixed in terms of singular Mm -hmm. ones with an overarching plot that kind of connected. So it's like kind of Vash the Stamp. No, well, Vash the Stampede. There was a lot of singular ones, I mean, just in terms of early on, but I feel like it connected a lot towards the end. So, but I think that's more reaching, to be honest. I think, again, um, Space Dandy did it really, really brilliantly well. Cowboy Bebop is one of those things that I notice uh, d- does something incredibly similar. So there's yeah. a few that stand out, but it's also to that general time period as well. In terms of if you say, hey, John, modern anime, which anime does that? Oof. I'm hard pressed on thinking of something immediately that's not Gintama. That's not something I haven't said before. Mm. That they do the same style. That's a modern anime that's dropped within the last five years. It's, I mean, everything I can kind of think of is more of the Adult Swim era that uses this type of format. So it's really interesting. Now, what it is is uh, Ghost in the Shell was directed by Kenji Kamiyama. Mm. And he's all, he's known, I mean, he mostly for only Ghost in the Shell works. He dabbled in terms of uh, Blade Runner, which is on Adult Swim as well as Crunchyroll. It's called Blade Runner Black Lotus. But aside from that, he's mostly only involved in Ghost in the Shell. Even now, his uh, latest work is Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045 that just got dropped uh, this year. And again, like I said earlier, that's the continuation kind of going forward. Which is cool because they even use the same voice actors too. So it's like the fact that they used the same voice actors in, you know, when this came out, opposed to, which is uh, 2005, and they retap those same voice actors 15 years later, really pumps me up and makes me more open to watch it, even though the art style has changed so drastically. Because I'm going to be honest, man. When I seen that Ghost in the Shell 2045, just the way it looks, I was immediately put off because it went against my unrealistic expectations. 
And I was fully expecting it to be very similar to the standalone complex just because yeah. that is what I remember. And so when I looked at the new animation for 2045, I was like, I'm not even going to give it a chance. I don't <laughs> care. And it's wrong because at this point I'm rewatching, you know, Ghost in the Shell and I'm refalling in love with it all over again. It's it's a brilliant anime. So, yeah, and I think that's that style that we had kind of for Berserk where when you uh, when they cha- they when a new studio takes over, a new animation studio takes over and they want to differentiate themselves from the previous works. And do like new things where it's like, oh, CGI is cool. It's uh, it can show our future a little bit more. They want to change character models and change how they present stuff. I think what's jarring about the difference if you grew up with Ghost in the Shell and looking at like a rise, it's one one looks more like a cyber like Ghost in the Shell. I feel like it's more humanoid, humanoid, and uh, like it looks like a mature woman mm-hmm. that in a cybernetic body. But the Arise one looks like a a lolly girl, like like if you bought a replica model of an anime girl that you wanted, and it's a robot, and turns out she's actually a cyber because it's so like young looking and well, like a, a kid. Was our and Ghost in the Shell Arise? Did that take place in before Standalone Complex? Do you know? Uh, no, I, I gotta look it up. I just know by because they're the same look. Uh, is uh, the new 2045 uh, of the the latest one it's the same look? They're going kind of similar with Arise. Arise still had her hair looking down, like more straight and not uh, and a younger looking face. It's just and the new Arise is more heavily CGI than uh, actual, just like standard 2D shading. Because I know the main character. Uh, it's based off um, the main character. Gosh, what Unless her, her model name? gets changed or something like that. Uh, that Motoko Kusanagi. Uh, that's uh, the man. We, we call her the major. That's what most people call her in the actual anime itself. Yeah. And I do know that she goes through a couple different body changes overall. Okay. Because uh, when she was four, that's when she went fully cybernetic. She had a type of disease that she was suffering from where she had to remove all of her organs and body parts and go fully cybernetic at the age of four. So she was an actual human at one point and then fully ported her consciousness into yeah. kind of like a robot. And it's, I mean, I think that's really interesting because uh, she ends up having to upgrade the outside of that robot the older she gets to kind of match her getting older as, oh, as well. Okay. So that's why I was kind of curious in terms of that. Bringing it back, oh, one of the things that really stood out to me in Ghost in the Shell was how amazing the music was. The music was so top-notch, it was scary. And I don't mean the intro and outro, because we'll get through that a little bit later. <laughs> I mean the actual oh, yeah, episode music. music in every episode. They, oh, I noticed, uh, if you watch the first 10 episodes, as an example, they only reuse one song in all 10 episodes. Each, t- each episode has a background song or a song that kind of assists the actual episode itself. And it's all dramatically different. And it's all very beautiful and very well done. And so I wanted to give a shout out because the music was done by Yoko Kano. Um, and she also wrote music for Cowboy Bebop, Wolf's Rain, Visions of Escaflone, uh, and Kids on the Slope. So who this major person who Kids actually... Kids on the Slope. Yeah, this uh, Yoko Kano, she wrote the music for a lot of anime that impacted us 
you know, growing up and that we've watched as well. I mean, Wolf's Rain had an, a great sound to track yeah. uh, throughout the actual episodes, the scores, and as well as Cowboy Bebop. And again, we're not talking about the intro and outros. What we're talking about is the actual score that's through each individual episode. And that's something that's very important to me is the music that's assisting an anime, whether it's overpowering or whether it is um, enhancing the anime in some way. Mm. For instance, uh, my favorite score of all time is based off Big O. And Big O is a kind of robot slash Batman style anime where this guy is like a negotiator. Why it stood out to me was not just the art style because some of the action was really dumb. (laughs) <laughs> it was how beautiful the score was in every episode. The yeah. minor manipulation of the same song, but now now that song is a saxophone. Now that same song is a piano that's slower. Now it's like more upbeat. And how they manipulated a few songs to give you a dramatically different feel hit me as a kid really hard mm. and impacted how I now judge anime and video games as a whole because now I'm I have more of an ear to... Uh, listen to it yeah and so the fact that she was able to bring a soundtrack to life in terms of the score for each episode and there was multiple episodes i'm watching and i'm like damn that sounds really really good that's a good beat that goes well with it and it, it didn't distract you from the action that was going on it wasn't over the top it was perfect it really reminded me of some of like the magic that they do in music nowadays, because for instance, rise of the shield hero end up having an amazing score throughout most of those episodes. Mm. And to the point to where I actually have a couple of them on my Spotify because I liked uh, how they have a, um, not more of a tango flow. It's more of a flamenco flow. And I, I really enjoyed that in terms of rise of the shield hero. So for me, when I judge an anime or, when an anime is going to stick out to me personally and where I'm going to say that's top 10 or top 20 or it's one of my favorites, it has to have a good soundtrack. soundtrack. If it doesn't have a good soundtrack, I genuinely don't really care as much. It's hard to get me personally involved. Yeah. When you think of an anime, man, I mean, was there any soundtracks that really stood out to you? Do you pay attention to the music in terms of anime and for what you've watched in the past, is anything noticeable, whether it's new or old, or is it one of those things where it's like you don't notice it that much? It's hard. Uh, I think it's hard when it, for me when it comes to anime because I don't think I uh, take as much time to really sit back and appreciate it. And I think you watch uh, a lot more shows where uh, some the animes aren't always action-based. Some of it's very dialogue-driven, and it moves on. So you see those little nuances, and you look out for it. The only time I have really saw how important mood music is in the background music, where I was like, wow, this is really powerful, was uh, playing the Nier series, the the first Nier and Nier Automata. That's the only time I realized like how important background music can really make and break a game. And that started making me really appreciate things. Like Same like how you got the music for... Uh, uh, Rise of Shield Hero background music on your phone. I had I bought I literally bought the soundtracks for both Ghost and Shell. I mean, not Ghost and Shell, the, the Near series, both Near and Near Automata, to a point where even at a convention, because you can't just buy the Japanese soundtrack off like iTunes, mm-hmm. I had to pay fifty dollars for an album because that's Ooh. how great the I thought the music was and how much it is a mood thing to me. Where I was like, I need to have this as a physical copy. So I'm slowly starting to see animes where. Uh, 
uh, I hear the background music and how they set things up. I think the last one, uh, I think, really hit me that stood out, uh, at least for how it set the atmosphere, was uh, Classroom of the Elite. I think there were some moments where really, uh, especially towards the end, where the music really set out uh, how my perception of someone was a change once the music revealed something about them. I was like, okay. I would say anime-wise, the last one that kind of stood out that wasn't Ghost in the Shell that I'm trying to think. Man, that's... I mean, aside from Rise of the Shield Hero, or Rise of the Shield Hero. Yeah. I think Erased, too. I think that got me, oh. See, that one's tough, because when I think of, for instance, video games, uh, 100 tracks come to yeah. my mind. I have a video game playlist on Spotify that's directed to only beautiful tracks that I've heard from a game that mm-hmm. I think is like that's amazing. Can't wait to get you to play uh, near. And it, it, it shows how amazing that music must have been in me and near because I have never spent $50 on a damn mm-hmm. CD ever. It's never happened. I've never once done it. It doesn't yeah. happen. And the fact that you've done that shows how good it was. Now there was a time I almost bought the Bakemono Guitari soundtrack for uh, $50. Well, I was like, let me do a few laps. and then we'll go from there but i mean uh recently for instance final fantasy uh seven they redid the soundtrack so it it sounded different it's very similar but also very different compared to the original final fantasy soundtrack uh seven soundtrack back in the day and i thought that was beautiful i mean to the point to where i genuinely uh with the new theme uh that they dropped the tifa's theme that's a dynamic theme on ps4 it has uh, the Final Fantasy music in the background. I probably won't ever change my theme. I mean, that's how important music is to me because I think the background itself is beautiful. But the music, every time I, I turn it on, I'm like, all right, this is music I can listen to all the time. And again, I have Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, multiple soundtracks. Yeah. But going back, now that I'm kind of giving my time to think about it, do you remember the first time an anime's uh, music stuck out to you? Because for me in particular, it was, and I'll never forget, it was Dragon Ball Z. The time Goku becomes Super Saiyan, that guitar mm. rift and like how they go into it. And again, goosebumps immediately just thinking about it. That's how good it is. The day he, the time he goes Super Saiyan for the first time when he fights Frieza and you start hearing like the real beat going. The background starts to like hype up as he's screaming. I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life because it was one of the, for me personally, the most powerful music moments in all of anime like that I experienced because it changed me so much. I was influenced so hard based off that one scene. And again, for me, top five scenes of all time will probably be the first time Goku became Super Saiyan mm. after the death of Krillin. And so for you in particular, is there any point where it's like you remembered the first time a song stood out to you or a background song ever stood out to you in anime? Or is it something where it's more recently you're really starting to pay attention to that? Um, I think I have an, a, a Dragon Ball Z one. I think uh, uh, while Go- I can remember the Goku one, I think the one that stood out for me in, in the Dragon Ball Z was during the Cell Saga when mm-hmm. Gohan was fighting Cell. Mm-hmm. Finally, once Android 16 was dead and Gohan just couldn't take any more of being like just very peaceful. I think just the mood of everything set me up. But uh, when you were just discussing about uh, Goku turning Super Saiyan, I, it made me think of uh, Garun Lagan mm-hmm. and uh, partway through the first season where the 
the anime kind of changes from like this buddy buddy situation to a very serious heavy tone and i just loved how the music matched the setting of like the rain in the background Mm -hmm. fitting and you really felt that you lost someone Mm -hmm. and it really showed how animation can make you feel as if that per- uh, a person was a living, breathing being, and you just lost someone that was very dear to you, and now you got to move on. Mm-hmm. And how that that like like the person like, hey, it was all fun and games at one point, and now things are serious. Like your actions have consequences. Yeah, and how powerful that is, and that and how selfless people can be too for that too. Yeah, and I just thought that was beautiful in that anime. I mean, and this is what's exciting is because. Music is only getting better. Production values only increasing the older we get. And we're revisiting some anime. I mean, that has either really good music or music that we genuinely don't think is that great. Mm. Like our last one about uh, Roroni Kenshin, Botosai the Manslayer. The music wasn't really good through most of the actual episodes. And the intro and outro, we both didn't really care too much about. Yeah. And so when you have it from the same time period, now Ghost in the Shell. Where it has amazing intro, uh, outros not, and it has a good score kind of going throughout it. It's like, it, to me, it puts it head and shoulders above its standard, the, the competition. Just because, again, that's what's important to me, is knowing that the soundtrack's not going to take away from the anime. It's actually going to give to it. Mm. I don't like anything that's going to overcomplicate things or almost take away because there's a lot that goes on in Ghost in the Shell. Let's be honest. It's not exactly the most action-oriented anime. It's kind of like CSI, but cyberpunk style. Yeah. I mean, realistic. It builds up. Yeah, you're looking for a criminal. You catch them. The criminal might fight back or they might be done already, stuff like that. So it's good. It's not like I expect. And I think that's why I grow to appreciate now as an adult. I don't need action all the time to really get my brain, you know, the things firing, the the sense and like, oh, I'm enjoying it. I liked uh, good character building and good uh, storytelling. And Ghost in the Shell does a good job of setting this atmosphere of this this future world where you can choose to like choosing to stay human is such an odd thing. Like fully human, fully fully organic when you can have all these other things to make you live longer and you know prosper without these feelings. But that it's almost like a weird shun like why are you getting why are you still such organic you know you can be stronger in this body you know? well yeah i mean we have that same yeah. thing nowadays if you don't have a facebook people are like why aren't you on social media yeah. i mean if you do anything that's against like the social odd. norm it's definitely odd but also let's be i mean be honest why wouldn't you do that okay the reason why is because at this point um most of the people have what's called a cyber brain Okay. Um, a cyber brain is a mechanical casing that goes uh, that protects the human brain and allows them to immediately connect to the internet and other networks. Okay. So if you have something inside you that allows you to immediately access the internet, pulls up a screen that's only in your vision that nobody else can see, that can give you immediate access to the most up-to-date information, I mean... We were tampering with Google Glass just a few years ago yeah, to do the I same thing. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Okay. Yeah, and people thought that was cool. So imagine if you just have this implant. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't change your brain. It just uh, connects with your brain. And now you have access to all this information. I want to call you. I'm not calling your cell phone. I'm calling straight to you, directly to your mind. So it's like you have to either accept or deny it. There's yeah. no, hey, I missed you. No, you freaking didn't. Like, <laughs> you obviously seen it. Yeah. 
So the major thing is, is it's like if you have that rea- that as an advantage in terms of your ability to access information or cybernetic parts, your ability to never have to work out again because your strength is set to a specific limit because yeah. you're already stronger than the average. Like your body. Anyway. Yeah. You don't age. None. So it's like, why wouldn't you do that? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people naturally do fear dying anyway. Yeah. And again, there is cyber people that do die. I mean, it does happen, yeah, yeah. obviously, in this world. But it's at such a different degree based off more violent crimes or hacking crimes than it is just based off old age and just the natural life yeah. cycle. And so, I mean, it's really interesting because, again, there's a lot of people I know that have was, have no problem signing up for that. If they mm. knew there was no repercussions, I mean, just the standard basic risk, they would have no problem in op- opting for a cyber brain or yeah. opting for a cybernetic enhancement. I mean, think about it. You can change out just one eye. You'll never notice it. But now that one eye can allow you to see at night, can allow you to have night vision, can allow you to sense heat, can allow you to have binoculars so you can see five miles away without it obstructing anything. Why wouldn't you do that? Because that can then help the safety of your family. Mm-hmm. That can help in terms of this. So you can justify that in so many different ways. Yeah. But also, it gets to the point to where at what point do you lose your humanity? Yeah. Like, are you still human? When that, that, and that's the whole thing, like that ghost, uh, are you a ghost in the shell kind of thing, that, that phantom pain and all that. So for the listeners, the ghost, uh, ghost in the shell, what this refers to is the ghost is a form of, uh, human consciousness that inhabits the body. So the ghost is, uh, um, whenever you hear the ghost, it's always about the human conscious that's lingered as they go into the cybernetic body. The shell is, you know, what the body is because that's, it's all pure cyber. So it's yeah. that they just feel like it's more of a shell. So, I mean, when you hear, for instance, them say, Hey, you know, my ghost is leaning towards this. That's their, the remnants of their consciousness or their kind of gut instinct mm-hmm. where, a lot of uh, where some people naturally kind of fall out of touch with that. And so Makoto and some of the other ones, the more you ha- are, are cyber, for instance, the more your ghost kind of uh, can either get stronger, or kind of get weaker. And that's the thing that's always uh, in the back of most of their minds mm-hmm. where Makoto's like, Hey, my ghost is telling me, Hey, it's this. And again, she's fully cyborg. She doesn't have a heart. She doesn't have a brain. It's she has a consciousness of a kid that, you know, slowly has grown up in the world. But aside from this aspect, she is no longer really a human. Yeah. But she still has the consciousness of a human in a way. And that's what makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. Because in the whole first movie, uh, Makoto's trying to battle, you know, is is she real like is she actually a person is does she have a consciousness yeah and through the whole first movie she's going through this case trying to figure it out and at the very end she ends up finding this uh eco terrorist spoiler alert (laughs) and uh ends up uh integrating with it where that terrorist actually becomes part of her consciousness so it becomes part of her ghost so it's like part of her but it's a whole different thing all in itself it's just like warped into something different and that slowly is changing uh change makoto's personality as well Mm. and so it's really interesting because you have like one episode going where they showed a ceo of a company that trades in human body parts and organs and the ceo was a robot was a robot with a texas accent that looked like a box walking 
I mean, like, and they and they make comments like, "Why would R2 you put D2 yourself in that lines, model? Yeah. It doesn't make sense." But it just shows not just the fetishes, but just how this world has changed. Where people are like, "Hey, I got no problem in doing that. Yeah. I'll put myself in a dumb little like." new xbox looking like box yeah and i'll give myself a texas accent and guess what that's my reality forever i think i think what's cool is uh interesting about the whole what makes you human and how you look because all these like cyborgs are very like human human-esque and looking but like they look different when a person looks straight like a, a, a mechanical contraction or robot like oh that's, that's different why would you do that and it makes me think of near automata because it kind of plays in that element of what makes what makes you human. Like, is there something that makes humanity special from everything else, or is it just something that we deemed? And I think that's a, a interesting premise of how it goes. Because you're right, it, it things would be easier if uh, you had these enhancements and stuff. And I'm excited for when uh, Cyberpunk, the game comes out. Uh, Am, am I willing to really invest in taking all the enhancements I can get of changing my character or how I'm going to approach things? Because you're right. If you're in a world where you're at a disadvantage if you're human and you're doing a job where it's law enforcement or doing something where you got to do these things, if someone has the upper hand against you, you are you going to even the playing field or are you just going to you know, take your chances and hope you shoot the best? Or even basic jobs, construction, yeah, construction with strength yeah. requirements. Or I mean, even computing, yeah, any job. Computing, if you're not as fast thinking as a cyber chip enhancement in your brain to do exactly. things for you. Yeah. So it puts you at a For big disadvantage. I mean, that's what makes it so interesting is it just like, would you do that? And then at that point, okay, if you replace everything, your brain, your heart, are you then still human yeah. or are you not? Because if you have a consciousness, to me, you're human. If you deal with empathy at that point, yeah. then to me, you're human. But that's not necessarily... That's just my opinion. That's yeah. not how it always is. I know earlier you were showing... Uh, we were just looking at some clips from Ghost in the Shell. And uh, that episode where uh, the major is basically uh, dealing with human trafficking. People trafficking body parts and stuff. Uh, and stealing body parts. Uh, it made it reflect back to you know the movie. And she's looking at her hand, and she is, you know, playing with her fingers. And at first, I didn't, I like, didn't even really think of that, that scene. But looking back, it's like that little thing that, at those little things that we kind of remind ourselves, like, am I, am I controlling myself? Am I being, am I still driving the ship that is my body, or is it something else? Is, yep. is the machine taking over me, and that is driving me and stuff? And I'm. And that, I mean, these complex themes to me are what makes this anime and not just this anime, the topic itself so fascinating because again, it it is so complicated. I mean, it's, it's tough. I myself, I wouldn't say I'm going to dive 100% into it, but I would definitely be open to it. Like for sure. Even the intimacy of like hacking into someone's putting this chip in and then being able to see their memories and stuff and by Okay, I understand that. Like that, uh, one of the early episodes about a son whose parents was very uh, had this strong, this strict religion where they believed that you shouldn't enhance yourselves, even if your 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 kid is dying from a horrible disease. Mm-hmm. So the kid it, uh, becomes a scientist, makes a robot, and has his friend inject his consciousness as he's dying to that robot, so he can go see his parents and maybe get revenge or just show them. But it's that message of, you know. Uh, how much we kind of differentiate uh, 
say like, oh, that's human or not, mm-hmm. or if that's uh, real and that connection, uh, those little story elements of things. So when you, hmm. I'm trying to think in terms of where the next thing we want to uh, slowly address. So for you in particular, yeah. For the episodes that you remember and you watched, did you have any that stood out that you were like, hey, you know, as a concept, this is really interesting or as a topic, um, it's one of those things where you're like, hey, this one made me either uncomfortable or, whoa, I I liked what they did in terms of that. I mean, was there any specific standalone episodes that really appealed to you in the first season that goes to the show? Um... I think uh, one ones I did like was uh, when I was talking about earlier about the I think it was episode two about the robot runaway evidence. Um, I just liked that they had this thing that the the son was going to go kill his parents out of revenge. But I think uh, Major at the end said like I'm not sure what he was trying to do, but I think he was kind of like showing his parents like I'm still here and stuff, and you know I did it, I accomplished. Accomplished my dream of making this machine. Uh, I thought I really stood out. And then one that was weird because it was re- it's a singular episode, uh, but it had to do with um, uh, it's called a modest rebellion about this this uh, guy who uh, this diplomat son who had this mod this specific old model android, and he was uh, put viruses to to make those models, those androids die so he could have the only one in the world. So it's like his only love kind of thing and no one else can have it. And the android, uh, that it has no, is not human at all. No consciousness. Uh, they thought there was a humanoid, uh, a humanist in it because it's like, remember, remember these things from a movie. And one of the characters looked back to the movie to watch the scene that the person said and saw that they, the android said something different that wasn't from the movie. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie they kept seeing, so it's like it goes back to that a little message of what makes you human, like and can can technology uh, come up with their own sentient being and stuff and be their own person without having uh, a soul or to be organically born? You know, can it be? Can it have its own freedom of thought? And I thought that was really cool. And then just the Laughing Man premise too of how that builds up and how this world of someone who is these people who are, if it's not one person, uh, uh, a organization that's trying to like really show people the felt the errors and enhancements and stuff and the things that you can start corrupting now that you're part of this network system. Hmm. Yeah. I want to touch on a couple things that you said that I thought was <clears throat> really interesting. And the first one would be, uh, that episode you talked about where he ended up, um, the CEO's son ended up falling in love with that old robot model. Yeah. And just for uh, our listeners so that they kind of understand a little bit of the context, why this is interesting is because the main character, Motoko, uh, the, the major, she was a human at one point that became fully cybernetic. Whereas this per so she had a consciousness that kind of uh, came with her where this new, uh, this old school robot was a pure cyborg. Uh, meant to be almost like a maid or servant maid um, sex doll I mean that was kind of the major function of them so when he he ended up falling in love with the cyborg which is very similar to you know the 
her type of situation. Have you ever seen that movie, Her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like he ends up falling in love with this, movie. This, uh, this cyborg style thing. And what I loved about it was this dynamic because he didn't care about her feelings at all. He just wanted her as like a tool to make himself feel better. Yeah. And he never asked. He asked her at one point, hey, are you scared? And she's like, yes, uh, but this is me normally. And so it shows like how uh, like one, she feels fear Two, It's like he put her in enough situations to where she felt fear multiple times. And she, she, it was a normal thing for her. Mm. He never once asked for her opinion, asked for anything. He was like, I love you, you. So that means you have to love me. And so it's like, he almost kept her against her will. And then at the very end, she was like, I don't want to love you. Like I, yeah. I don't want to. And the major, which is the only smart one out of the damn group, I swear, is the only one that's like, <laughs> hey, did she have a consciousness? That's weird. And everyone's like, ah, no, you're, you're imagining it. You're dumb. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, all right, sure. No, it, uh, I, I would say major is one of the smartest, but the human guy that they have in the group. The human guy uh, at the very end is yeah. when he came home. He's he seen his wife watch conveniently watch the same movie yeah. where that line was done. A little too much plot armor right yeah. there. Kind of dumb. <laughs> And then that's when he noticed that she said almost word for word identical to the movie, but she there was a couple words she left out. Yeah, she added to it. And that's where he started really thinking. And if you notice, so it's... He's like, is this the original movie or is this updated one? It's like, no, this is the unedited uh, cut to press movie. Unedited. Now, the one who actually seen, uh, who made this, who noticed that, that's uh, Togusa. Yeah. And he is the only person on this team that has zero cyber han- enhancements at all. Yeah. There's none. He's not connected to anything at that point. So much so that he, he he's like, I ain't even not even going to have a, uh, a standard 9mm weapon. I'm going to have a revolver. I want to put my bullets into the chamber one by one. And just go to town. And that was his yeah. normal routine because he was on the police rep- yeah. uh, police uh, force before he got scouted. So when you watch this anime, you're going to see the way Motoko um, talks with Togusa and the way she talks with Bato are dramatically different. Because Bato's more like, why are you thinking about it? doesn't matter. Yeah. But his dumbass still buys like weight training equipment <laughs> and doesn't need to even use it anyway. Where Togusa is a lot more... Uh, he has a lot more of that detective spirit where he will really follow a lead kind of all the way through. And I really like the dynamic between these three people. I mean, the main, I mean, they are the main characters, but you could tell that they didn't really want to shine too much light on some of the other supporting cast, yeah. like Borma, <laughs> Borma or some of the other ones. And, and I think they, they do cool. Cause it's just like, if you're watching CSI or anything or exactly uh, SVU, you have those guys who, Oh, let's go to see the forensics guy, or and they're going to go see their hacker dude, who his job is to hack and keep him updated in that information, so he's not going to be out in the field. So it, it, it works well. It's not. It's never like too wild or crazy. And I and and I like those little side characters who are interesting. Like Borma walking in with pizza because they've been scouting out doing. He's like, "Hey, Borma, man, we gotta." We, you you got to go to work. He's like, damn, I can't even eat. I got to go, go back in the field after just getting stuff for everyone. So I thought that was like little cool little nuances and stuff, especially with the setting of the show. Because I don't think – I think Law & Order was out, uh, of course, during this time. But, like, you know, uh, other big shows weren't out doing this stuff. 
when S- uh, when Ghost in the Shell was mm-hmm. going on. So wh- one of the things about Ghost in the Shell, not just Ghost in the Shell, anime in general, that we have to and we do pay attention to mm. is how realistic are some of these voice actors. <laughs> Some of yeah. them are can be incredibly realistic where it draws us in, and some of them actually like, turn us completely off. Yeah. Now, Ghost in the Shell was a little frustrating because we were only able to find that on Adult Swim legally. Yeah. Um, you, I was able to find it on a couple of shady sites, but the thing is, is they it would say standalone complex, but it wouldn't. It would be the second season, not the first season. Oh, okay. So I actually watched the first episode of the second season first, thinking oh, that that's where it, it starts. Ep- okay. And then when I picked up by a couple, by the end of it, I was like, "Oh, this is not where I need to start." Okay. And so I highly recommend one: you download yourself an ad blocker, and then two: <laughs> you go to adultswim.com and you can watch every episode of Ghost in the Shell on there for free without yeah. paying anything. Which and is I highly crazy, recommend yeah. it because. I think this would probably be the only way you can really show love to the series um, that has it kind of recorded so they get some form of either feedback or kickback based off the viewers that happen to check out this anime. Now, going into the voice actors uh, a little bit, we're just going to go through the main three characters, uh, the ones that I thought had the best performance. And the first one was Bato. Uh, Bato is... Ja- we're going to go through just a couple of uh, his Japanese voice actors. It's Akio Oo. Ozuka, he is, and I've heard his. So when we listened to the anime or when we watched it, we watched it with the dub voice actors because that's all Adult Swim offers. Yeah. Okay? Now for the Japanese uh, voice actor, I, I don't know his performance, but I do know that he was the same guy that ended up voicing Yojiro from Baki. He was the Skull Knight from Berserk. He was Gohan the Panda from Beastars. So um, th- I've act. He was Blackjack. From the anime Blackjack. So I might not have listened to the Japanese voice actor for this anime, but he's actually popped out in a lot of different anime. He voiced all for one in um, uh, My Hero Academia. And so I've actually heard his voice across multiple different animes kind of growing up my whole life. So I thought that was really cool just seeing, you know, him and what he uh, he happened to appear in. His American voice actor was Richard Epcar. And I li- like Richard Epcar to me is, I mean, he's practically, I guess you could say like a legend. Cause just because he's been in the, the business for a long period of time. And uh, there was a lot of voices I remember uh, hearing from him. He, he was in the Fuji, uh, Fushigi Yugi at this point oh. as one of the main characters for that. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, he, that's really cool. He played multiple different roles in uh, oh, I GTO. Thought, I thought he was. He, was um, vo- he played, um, uh, what was it's it? He roles. played Joseph Joestar oh. in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, so he was the main actor in that. And I actually knew his vo- voice he, he because. He did a great job as JoJo. Joseph I, Joestar is an amazing character. You did an amazing job. So you listen to the dubs on that? Oh, oh, he's a dub. He's a yeah. dub. He's well, a yeah, we're talking okay. about the American voice. I have not watched a dub because so and I I always heard I, his I voice before, like, and I couldn't place it. It was driving me crazy. And then I found out where I got his voice. He played what? Jigen Daisuke from Lupin the Third, oh, and because oh, I grew oh. up on Lupin the Third, and I heard the dubs growing up on that. 
it was crazy that he played that and he also played Zenigata, which is uh like the police that's always following them he around. He did both voices? Yeah. Oh, he's really good. So, I mean, I want to give a shout out to Rip- Richard Epcar because we always talk about like Johnny Young Bosch and yeah. you know, a few of the other ones, but I didn't realize how amazing this one voice actor was and how much anime he actually was in that I watched growing up. And he's still doing stuff now, yeah. but nowadays I don't really watch it and watch as much as dub, dub yeah. nearly as much as what I should. So that's just a voice actor for Goemon. Uh, the one for M- Motoko Kusanagi, our major, she was in quite a lot of different anime as well. And again, um, the Japanese voice actor's name is Asuko Tanaka. So she was she played uh, Lisa oh, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I love JoJo. And Lisa <laughs> Lisa is an amazing character. Was Watch she? JoJo. Yeah, Lisa Lisa is really cool. Cool, strong female character who uh, doesn't have to do the whole, I need to talk about a man. I think it's just a character. It's really good. Really? Yes. She's badass. So going forward, she was in a lot of different anime as well. Now, I'm kind of looking down the list as I'm talking, and I don't really see any. I'm going to be honest. She was in a lot (laughs) of roles, like a lot. But I don't see any that I stood out to where I could say, hey, I recognize that voice. Which goes to show you, like, uh, how much we watch. How uh, She was in Wolf's Reign. She she played Mm -hmm. one of the antagonists in Wolf's Reign, Jagara, which I wanted to at least bring that part up because uh, we happen to watch Wolf's Reign ourselves. I'll be honest. I forgot forget who Jagara is. Really? Yeah, I don't. It's like the main bag. There's two bad guys in Wolf's Rain, and it's one of them. Yeah, there's I, only I, one bitch wearing a mask, like through the whole. It's not thing. the main dude though. It's not the main villain. Yeah, it was like with the main. Like villain. one, one of his subordinates. Again, it's just like <laughs> it's like me thinking of. Uh, I mean, we did uh, watch that over a year da- ago. Danos. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, D- Danos and remembering one of his uh, crewmates that went out. All I know is they died. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I knew. Wholeheartedly, I know they died like it's an injury. <laughs> and we moved on. Now, the voice actor, the American voice actor for Motoko Kusanagi, the most important major, is Mary Elizabeth McLynn. I actually uh, remember her voice. She played uh, Dot Hack Science Helba. And I remember that character growing up because, again, I watched that in a dub as I grew up. A lot of these people also played in Blackjack because she was a supporting role in that. Nice. She uh, played in Bleach and Code Geass yeah. and as well as Cowboy Bebop. It's really crazy because Cowboy Bebop you know, has a couple of the actual voice actors as yeah. well as their main uh, music director as well. So just it's really cool just yeah. seeing a lot of them end up uh, going over. Fushigi Yugi, for instance, she was one of the mains main in there. Oh. And so it's crazy how a lot of these animes, you kind of use the same voice actors. Yeah, and I, and I think it's because of the time. Like this is like '90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. where you voice acting wasn't a big thing because they started transferring Japanese. Uh, anime over seeing how popular it was getting and they were going with people they know just like celebrities by let's use these big names and stuff luckily today we have a growing population of voice acting and we get to see all these new voice actors who are unique and have a different style so you can have uh jong young bosch to have those special appearances but oh that's cool but you have these other actors who can you know show their voice because in the end you don't want always the same character because some voices just 
when you hear, see that their voice, you think of one specific character, not oh now they're Edward from Full Metal Alchemist. Or something exactly. Like that. Yeah. It's funny because, and I'm glad you touched up on that because again, the American voice actor played the same role as the Japanese voice actor in Revolts Reign of uh, Jagara. Oh, perfect. So it's like what you said really lines up almost perfectly, and. It's funny because when I looked down her character list, there's actually one voice that does stand out that she does, and that is Hilda from Outlaw Star. Mm. She's only in the first couple episodes, so she's not a big role at all. But I remember that voice, and knowing that's the same voice as Majors, it makes a lot more sense because it's a little authoritative, and it's it's a really direct, nice voice. I think Mary did, Elizabeth did an amazing job yeah. in terms of uh, how she brought uh, the voice at, and the major to life. And again, she's playing a cybernetic role in terms of that. And she's still the voice for the major in the new Ghost in the Shell that dropped uh, this year. Although on Netflix? Yeah. The Rise? Oh, so sweet. it's really cool okay. because, again they kept a lot of the same voice actors yeah. and that's between 15 years. So it's like, that's why I thought it was cool. Cause this came out in 2005 and it's 2020. Now she's did, she came back to reprise the role 15 years later. Yeah. And I that's, think that's, and amazing. that's special. Cause sometimes studios don't do that. They move on. They have a character. They have a character where they're like, Oh, fans won't realize who they are, but I'm glad that studios recognize. Like, yes, we do still know, we have we see a character we have a voice that associates with that character. Keep please keep the same character voice. Keep that model so we you know feel that it's new and not some new person we gotta get used to. You know, just like there's all these different dubs of Dragon Ball Z, but there's a dub that you grew up with, knowing that this is how you like it. These, these and these are the people that you associate to the characters. That's why it took me a hard time for me to even watch the Japanese version of Dragon Ball Z because Goku's voice threw me off even though that was the japanese voice that made dragon ball z mm-hmm. that, that voice actress uh, actress carried the whole thing since day one and i'm just like ugh, i'm not gonna get used to this high-pitched voice so we also want to give a little bit of shout out because you brought up the studio just studios in general oh yes and the studio that brought ghost in the shell standalone complex to life was production ig who Amazing is studio. behind i mean it's probably one of the top studios out yeah. there with like trigger and some of the other ones because i mean they brought to life attack on titan they brought to life haiku great which is you know an amazing anime it's just not in itself. guilty crown a uh, kuroku no basket great. so flcl agent magnus bride and you're gonna notice again from old school to new school a lot of these have high quality animation yeah. as well I mean, and that's what makes it so good. Vinland Saga, they end up help, helping uh, bring to life and Blood Sea. Um, and so to me, it's really cool just the fact that they are so diverse. They, they mess around in sports anime. They mess around in mm-hmm. ballroom style anime. They go in terms of, I mean, they did Run With The Wind, Robotic which notes. I thought was absolutely beautiful. It's just that, that was a masterpiece in itself. Prince of Tennis. So, I mean, just got to give a shout out. If you see that a studio uh, production IG is doing that anime, you should at least feel safe that they're going to give it, you know, a real honest effort. Yeah. Honestly, I would say uh, production IG is honestly like a triple A studio. Like, in a, if you were looking at it in terms of video games where usually, you know, they might have ones that are might be a hit or miss for you, but most of the time it's going to be a pretty game, uh, uh, anime that you know already have a built-in fan base around it. Yeah. Now, 
when I kind of think about that's the main voice actors going through that really brought these roles to life. Yeah. And if it wasn't for these voice actors, I don't think some of these episodes would really stand out to me as much as what they really did. And one of the episodes kind of bringing it back that really stood out to me personally was episode nine. And I believe that one was called oh. Chat, Chat, Chat. Yeah. And it's where Motoko enters this online chat room. And why this is fascinating is because it's on multiple different levels. First, it's the online chat room idea itself. When we think of an online chat room, we're just sending a text. It's done. Done and over. They're sending a text back. But because this is cyberpunk, because this is the future, yeah. when you're in this online chat room, you now have this avatar that you're looking, breathing, and checking and Almost like you're in the same room as somebody. Because mm. when she was in this chat room, she was no, driving she, a car. Yeah. Like, and she, in her model, she made herself look different. Pink hair. Yep, different at different all. Yeah. So I thought, first, that was a really interesting way to even do a chat room. Again, mm. something simple, but something that stood out to me personally. And then this whole thing, you almost think is almost like a throwaway episode because they do a lot of recaps Yeah, where they talk about the laughing man because this is where they start to really dive into what is the laughing man, who is it, is it an yeah. organi- organization, is it, is it person? a person? And the laughing man is like a cyber eco-terrorist where pretty much they are, I mean, you could say the ultimate hacker, which is the worst type of criminal you can really be in this type of yeah. world. And she's just trying to see she goes into this uh, laughing man fan club to see, okay, is there any type of information she can get out of it? And the whole episode goes through different theories of the laughing man, kind of judged by a couple different fans and kind of moves in terms of like a real debate of is the laughing man ethical? Is it more of a philosophical thing? Is he actually like really trying to stand up? You know, is it an organization? And they go through multiple different theories right there. And what was really cool was the way Motoko, because if you think about it, she infiltrates this this chat, man. She, there's this chat where you could tell they're all used to talking to each other. She infiltrates it and nobody questions her. Yeah. And she's just like, hey, y'all are going to tell me information. They're like, sure, we'll have this conversation. To the point where she goes up to the, like, it's cool because it's like a center table where people are the main people are talking and the other things are like, little balconies or yeah. uh, stands where people are just listening to the chat and she just goes and sits down. And at first I was like, uh, if I was younger, by why would this be a thing? But like we live in a world where we have Twitch where people do watch people talk and stuff and debate and have these discussions and you just either sit in the chat room, listen to them or you just watch and see what's going on. So I thought it was really cool seeing that. It definitely was. And then from that point on, she ends up listening to everyone's theory and then she moves the converse, uh, conversation along really well at that point, taking control at specific points. From a conversation point of view, I thought how it was written was really, really brilliant because it came across so natural in an unnatural scenario right there. Mm. And then what happens near the end of the episode? She runs on her own theory and one of the observers in there happened to be the laughing man who was like bingo and immediately transported her consciousness to like this different like area and then from that point on it kind of changes and goes a little bit darker and i just think in terms of the transition and what they did in that episode was brilliant because you find out out of all the people sitting there talking one of them maybe was the laughing man and it was just brilliant and fascinating and it was one of those things where it was like 
I usually hate recap episodes. I despise them really hard because I hate the fact that I have to wait a week just to go over what so I've listen. already went over before. <laughs> yeah. But if it's done really well, which a couple of them in the past have, Bofuri did the, did this really well, as well as this uh, in Ghost in the Shell, mm. I really like the twist. Because if you're going to do a recap, do it from a different type of angle or perspective where it sheds a little bit more information. Yeah. And that, I thought they couldn't have done it better. That's for sure. Don't, go, don't do the Wolf Rain route where it's just monologues. Seven of, episodes of yeah, the same thing. Don't do a recap episode. Three episodes later, another recap episode. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. And so when I think of Ghost in the Shell just overall, man, it pumps me up just knowing that, A, one, there is a potential that this could genuinely be the future. Now, maybe not 2030, maybe t- t- 2250, <laughs> but it does give me a really interest, like a optimistic hope where I feel like some fun conversations are definitely bound to happen during that time period. And I look forward to hearing them just because there's so much to it. And one of the, the interesting bits is one of the side characters are Tachikomas and think of them as like mechanical spiders that assist Mm -hmm. section nine. And you're going to notice throughout the episodes, these mechanical spiders who have no, I mean, they're like run-of-the-mill factory kind of mass-produced military equipment. Yeah. They start to all develop individual consciousness and individual personalities themselves to the point to where they're like, hey, Major, you're going out? Hey, could you get get us a souvenir? And the Major's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You're a robot spider. One, why do you need the souvenir? What are you going to do with it? But it plants that small seed of, Wow, this is unique behavior that doesn't normally happen. It's not the average thing. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's what's also so scary about robots. Because the thing is, is again, robots are like elephants. They cannot forget. It's impossible. They don't forget. I mean, so it's like whatever has happened is stored in their memory forever. They're not like humans. So if you misplace or mistreat a robot, it's never going to forget what you did to it. It, if it slowly develops this consciousness, starts asking questions and becomes sentient, then at that point, it's also going to say, hey, why is this person abusing and hurting me so much? And let's be honest. We in our society would have no problem having these robots and cyborgs and realistically making them slaves in all aspects of our life. Mm. Let's be honest. That's probably going to be the next yeah. step. I even, I even found it interesting with these spiders of how they uh, at first I thought like the voice acting they had like these little like kid voices uh, high pitched voices uh, as the robots and at first I thought it was like annoying but Hello then annoying. then I got used to it and, and just what you're saying it makes it seem like they're aging they're growing and stuff mm-hmm. they're b- developing these consciousness just like a kid who's like oh can you go do this for me can you do that just like they're very excited and they love what they do and they're they're silly and do things where it's like oh why why you get stuck. Why you go in between these two things and got not got yourself stuck? Well, that was the major's you know? fault. That was, <laughs> yeah, what's major? That girl would piss me off. Major was like, "Yo, we're gonna Dr- give them to the police you. and then we'll be back." And yeah. I'd have been like, "I'm stuck. Help me out now. <laughs> you don't need to be there. You have a team. Give me the hell out." And major, major jammed her into some cargo crates and was yeah. like, left her there and was like, "I'll see you later." <laughs> You're a robot. I'm out. You're yeah. I thought that was really interesting, but again, yeah, 
the Tachikoma think tanks are really kind of interesting with every episode. You could tell they really develop, and I like how you brought up they were kids because, I mean, the, everything was so new to them. Everything was so weird to them and so different, and so the, every day to them was like, wow, this is a new adventure. What am I going to see that's new today? It's It's really, really cool, man. And again, just for small side characters that you would think is more off the cuff, end up becoming really important to the philosophical conversation of sure. do they have the consciousness? Are they, I mean, they're not humans, but if they feel, if they think that they feel, then are they? And it's like, again, that sense of wonder, that direction and being like, Hey, get me something, you know, get me something. They're like children. I think it's really fascinating. And it just, to me, it's really exciting just because it, paves the way going forward in terms of all the short stories because they eventually do uh, some short stories that's just on the Tachikomas uh, later on. But mm. it's not, you know, that's not a part of the Ghost in the Shell. It's more of like its own standalone yeah. thing right there. I even know they do, uh, they did either a spinoff book series or like OVA about uh, Bato, about him and a dog and stuff little story and i like that they have these different characters where they're able to do little little vignettes and stuff of character building stories that become popular i know that i heard that that one was really popular so when i look up i'm always curious to see okay does the title have anything to really do with the anime is there anything in depth with it you know what's the important thing and they mentioned uh we talked about the ghost in the shell aspect already, but they mentioned the standalone complex kind of theory. And I thought, I mean, they don't, it takes a while for them to really go into it. And so it's one of those things where it was like, uh, it's behavior that's copied by, uh, from a previous source. So you can think of it as more as an occurrence that's caused by a bunch of individuals that move towards kind of a single, a uh, single goal. Hmm where it almost appears really random for something. And you'll notice that a lot of these events uh, have that, where they, they do mention the standalone complex theory in multiple different episodes, especially when it deals with the Laughing Man, because yeah. they're like, hey, were these just copycats, or was this the real thing? It's were they fun- manipulated? <laughs> it's funny, when I hear, hear them say uh, standalone complex, I, I don't know, I always get... Uh, this YouTube channel cinema sins in my head where it's like roll credits. I was like, just like how they, you know, hint towards the title of the, the series. Mm-hmm. So it's it just cool. But I, I like how they are, uh, how they build this, this world. I think ghost in the show does a great, uh, standalone complex is a great way of building the world. And at first I thought it was weird when you jump into the first episode, I was like, man, should I watch the movie? But like, as even as I kept watching it, I start slowly started understanding things. It allows me to be like, oh, okay, I can I, I can see what where this is going, how the world is building, mm-hmm. which is cool. I like sometimes when you just jump into the anime. Yeah, they made it really easy for new fans to really get to dive in because yeah. again, the original anime came out in ninety five. This one came out ten years later, so <laughs> it's like the fact that they waited ten years. I mean, technology obviously beefed up because you'll see a difference in terms of when you watch the 95 anime and then you watch the standalone CGI's came a long way in 10 yeah, years. Yeah, for sure. Dramatically different and different in a good way in my yeah. opinion. And honestly it didn't look bad at all. Like I could see it still and uh seeing this kind of animation today and still be able to watch it and not be like, oh, this is trash. 
And that's going to bring us to uh, trash. The whole ending and opening theme songs. Okay. Yes. Of Ghost in the <laughs> Shell. Why so, you say trash? Like, oh, like because one of them is, and one of them is okay, not. Well, in my opinion, we'll see which one is. So the first one is the opening theme is "Inner Universe" by Origa, and this is to me. Well, I'll give you my opinion after I, after we listen to it. Let's do it. Again, that was the opening theme for Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. It was Inner Universe by Origa. And when it comes to just the opening theme, what did you think compared to the same anime from the same time period and kind of standalone? Uh, what did you think about that opening theme? Um, I love uh, the beautiful uh, voice uh, singing the song. I think the melody is perfect. Um, what's funny is like... Uh, Again, this is another anime where we wa- I, as we both we both watched it. We both said, "Yeah, it's something that we don't skip the opening. Like we watch the opening every time to like set the mood for the show." Um, what I find funny is like uh, the background, like the uh, the animation of the opening credit looks like P- PlayStation Two CGI cutscenes of like models. Um, so I thought that just made me laugh. It made me think of PlayStation Two. But I, I just I love the singing. I I love the atmosphere and. I know you gave me uh, last uh, week's episode where we uh, where I played uh, when we talked about uh, Ronnie Kenshin and I played Berserk's uh, Postmates uh, song Postmates uh, song Postman uh, and you're like man this song does not suit this anime. I think it's still awesome, but you're right. This song suits uh, this anime perfectly and really gets your mood of what's going on, what what's going to happen, this mysterious mood. And I, I just think it's beautiful. It's definitely, I remember having this song or mixed CDs when I used to do that in high school where we'd burn and do a, a, a mixed CD made so I can jam it to school. Yeah, man, uh, I can say that. I definitely had it on a lot of mixed CDs too. And I remember... Again, it gives me goosebumps kind of rewatching it and listening to it because this is one of the few opening cutscenes that I don't skip at all and I probably never will. If I watch all 26 episodes of Ghost in the Shell or all 50, I'm not going to skip this at all. 
I'm going to watch it every single time. I do know it does change after the 13th episode. Or after the 26th episode. Uh, Going into the second season, that's when it goes into uh, a new opening. But this one in particular really, really stood out. I like how it's kind of a darker tempo. Yeah. Um, And if you notice uh, in terms of the actual opening, it's very dark. I mean, there's a lot of dark colors that they use. It's mostly done at night. They highlight like a couple of the different team members, but it's mostly made uh, centered around, you know, the main character, the major. So to me, just how they did it from the pictures, the animation itself. And you are right. There is a couple times where it does look very PS2 like, but that's not saying anything bad because at that time, PS2 had bomb ass (laughs) graphics. So it's like we look at it and there's some times where it's like you look at it and you're like, huh, that doesn't look good. And then. Ten seconds later, it's kind of in a darker setting where it's like, to me, that looks really well done. That almost looks better to me than some of the CGI that's done nowadays, mm-hmm. like Fist of the North Star or oh, okay. like that type of that's stuff. Shady. Where you're just like... Fist of the Blue Star. Yeah, yeah. Fist of the Blue Star where it just yeah. didn't really look too, as good as what it could. And I'm like, if uh, anime in 05 is looking better than something that's coming out in the last three years, mm-hmm. that to me is either saying how good that that studio is or it's saying how bad some of the modern <laughs> cgi yeah. really is but that is just the opening of ghost in the shell it's really well done in my opinion through the whole thing from start to finish production ig as the studio just killed it and i'm more open now to actually giving the new ghost in the shell a chance just based off what i watched yeah. now Going in terms of every anime has an intro as well as an outro. What do you think about, or let's play the outro, and I want you to tell me kind of what your thoughts are on that. All right. Uh, The outro is uh, titled Lithium Flower, and it's performed by Scott Matthews for uh, the dub version. Lyrics were written by Tim Jensen, so it took two people minimally to create the song. I say incredible math. <laughs> I look at the lyrics for this one. I'm sorry. Damn, he didn't even let the beat drop. <laughs> he said, incredible math. She's incredible math. I was like, is that the lyrics? I gotta look this song up. I gotta uh, again. I skipped the outro a lot. That was the uh, ending theme song. It's called "Lithium Flower." It was uh, performed by Scott Matthew. The lyrics were Tim Jensen. So if you didn't like this song, you had to blame one of them. Did you? Uh, what did you? What was your thoughts on that ending theme song? Um, how does that stack up? Yes, it says. She's so number nine. She's incredible math. Jess, incredible math. 
Yep, that silence is. Uh, I'm not gonna roast it. I think it, it, I think it's one that like, hey, we need to make a, a intro. They use I think they use the number nine because section nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking about the major course. Uh, and it giving that mood is like, is she really human or is she not human? Um, I just think it's uh, an outro. It's yeah. There's a couple things I don't like. Okay, one, the music itself is terrible. <laughs> Two, I genuinely don't think I don't like the whole like the way they did the Man, song. I didn't really try to do some fan service at the end of the opposed to the pictures that they show up to go with the song. One dude's eating a sandwich. One dude showing you a ball. rocket launcher. One dude shooting a gun. And then all of a sudden you get this random like half naked woman at the very end. Where they're na- just like Half naked major just saying, I'm going to wear my black jeans. I'm going to face a wall. And I'm going to just have my chest. So which, which going is, forward, so I wasn't exactly more of a fan of that ending as well. Yes. Now, there was a couple things I did notice that I want to quickly touch on okay. uh, before we wrap everything up. First things first is I did not. If you actually notice an episode, I believe it was either three or four. There was a like a full like I don't want to say full, but like a sex scene in there where one of the people are questioning this Yakuza guy oh, and he's watching porn, porn. on a laptop. Oh, yeah. You it actually is. seen a girl like having sex like through his glasses. Yeah. And I was shocked because I'm like, Flipping wait, was this it. on Adult Swim? <laughs> I was like, this, I mean, this is on Adult Swim's website. So I was yeah. like, was this actually on the air? Because that, I mean, that's, I, that's I, crazy. I'm pretty sure it was always late now. I never saw it as... Ghost in the Shell was always at evening, like 8 p.m. Oh, definitely. Show. Well, so, I mean, yeah, because they which, it played on which Adult Swim. Back in the time, was like kids should be asleep at this time. Well, it was 8, 9 p.m. If you were on Eastern time, Eastern or time? yes, for us, Ghost oh. in the Shell always popped up around like 11, 12 going on. Okay. But I thought that was really strange. The second thing I've noticed is I think Makoto is a lesbian. Because there's a couple different scenes where it shows that she's around these like half naked, passed out women, and she flirts with a couple of them like through like, "Hey, I'm calling you. You never came over tonight." And she's like, "I'll make you like feel good later." And it's like, "Damn, Makoto," where it was like, "I never noticed this back in 2005 at all," but it does. Uh, again, I it's becoming more obvious like the older I get where I'm like, I didn't notice that sex scene or I didn't notice like the the small things kind of behind that. Yeah. That just like really stood out to me now, just because again it's just those small details. Was there any small details that kind of stood out to you that was uh, more of a surprise? Mm. Uh, I really like. Uh, oh no, I just find it interesting the little uh, jacks in the back of people's necks and stuff. Like you really can jack in. I just thought that really cool to see. Like that's how we you know interface with things and how. Uh, each one different things interface with things differently. I just thought it was really a cool little thing that's saying like, hey, this is how people can be hacked or because we're all in a this cybernetic network, if you have this thing, someone can hack you from a distance or they can hide things where you're seeing through one image and turns out you were seeing through someone else's eyes and it was all fake mm-hmm. because they hacked into that hacked into a robot to make you see a certain thing and they're actually in a different location. Things like that was just interesting. Because it, it it seemed real and explainable in the text of the universe. And it also takes away, like, think about it, That alone takes away your ability to ever lie. Because yeah. that way you can shift through somebody's memories. I mean, there's many times where Bato was like, Hey, Major, don't go looking around in my head. 
because when they do jack in there, they have access to all that information. Imagine you never have to lie. Someone's like, where have you been at? And you're like, I was at the store. And they're like, no, you weren't. It's like, here's proof. I was literally at the store. I mean, it would stop so mm-hmm. much like yeah. random, random fights. But again, it was just such an interesting concept of a show. Mm. So when you go back, you watch it. Does this stand the test of time? What are your kind of overall final thoughts on Ghost in the Shell? Are you going to continue watching? Are you done? Are you going to move on? What's your final thoughts? Um, my hope is to finish uh, the first season. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I'm glad that um, I can watch it on Adult Swim and you know, just have to deal. I don't have ad blockers, so I just have to deal with a few ads, but it's still good. I, I'm I definitely enjoying it. So I definitely recommend it. Uh, if you want a very thought provoking, thinking kind of anime with a cool, like, universe setting, if you're a person who about who likes setting and good storytelling, besides just the standard beat em up. And for me, I honestly can't really say anything else that's good about this anime and the impact that it's made on me. And the fact that I'm watching it now as an adult and with the way one cyberpunk's coming out in a couple months, how our technology slowly is increasing where they're talking about cyber enhancements nowadays. Elon Musk was talking about that on Rogan's podcast. Yeah. It makes me really excited for just the future, but also for anime itself. Because again, this is a topic that pumps me up. It's very fascinating, and there's like endless talks you can have with every episode that go from minor crimes to major crimes where you're just like, okay, who's really involved, who's not? And again, if you like a complicated story that makes you really enjoy the characters that are kind of figuring this out, there's no over-the-top. What I liked about that is there's no typical tropes in this anime. You don't have, like, the typical damsel in distress or the typical, you know, tsundere's and all that. You have real humans, real characters doing real character shit. And I myself like that because nowadays every anime has 500 tropes in it. Every anime has the tsundere, the kudere, like, the typical bland ca- uh, main character that doesn't really do anything. And this one throws it all out where they make kind of the main lead you know, a human guy that's already married at this point and a cybernetic, you know, girl that is also changing kind of throughout this anime as well, who starts to ask a lot more questions. So to me, I this is one of my highest rated animes. It's on my like top tier list personally, mm. where it's just like from the music, the animation, the story, the individual lines at least for the first half that we watched is fascinating. Now, can it change? We've seen lots of anime become really bad in the second season. So I don't want to say, Hey, throughout the whole thing, it's perfect. But at least for the first half that we watched, I thoroughly enjoy it. I would highly recommend this to anybody that wants something slightly complicated, but incredibly beautiful at the same time. Now, Going forward at this point, is there anything else that you wanted to add that we needed to do? Uh, no. Uh, look forward to uh, next episode. We will... Well, I guess we don't really know just yet. It'll probably be uh, either a mini-sode or a, uh, another archive. We'll just jump into it. Now that I have more time in my hand, I can do a little bit more things. A little bit more flexibility, if you can, can and finish things on time. 
And so the next one could be a mini-sode. We could be going back in the archives because we've talked about Fushigi Yugi a couple times. We, I mean, there's another old-school um, oh, yeah, East sure. guy called El Hazard that, uh, that Reeve kind of popped up on one of my lists. Mm. We have the new stuff that came out this season that we have to review because it's been well into it. Yeah. So we have a good amount. I mean, we've roughly talked about Dot Hack. That's the good thing about this anime is, I mean, we don't have a specific direction because we have so many different options. So many resources. They keep pumping out new ones and the old ones. I mean, some of them are still holding up, you know, even with the technology kind of barrier that they yeah. had to deal with. So it makes I want to find S cried. I was just thinking about that as we were talking about this stuff. I don't know about that one, but again, <laughs> oh there's God. definitely a lot out there that I'm really excited <laughs> to pop up in. And I'm also really excited to know that ghost in the shell goes above like Roroni Kenshin goes above Wolf's rain where I can enjoy it 10 years later. And I realistically, if I watch this in 10 years from now, I'll probably still enjoy it. Mm. So just saying, Ghost in the Shell, it's safe to say we both highly recommend it. It was brilliant. I'm going to play um, a theme song, or the, one of the ending things for an anime that I thoroughly loved. It was a brilliant anime going through, and this has one of the best opening theme songs I've ever heard in an anime. The song itself is called Daddy, Daddy, Do. It's by Masa, uh, Masayuki Suzuki. And it is the opening theme song for Kaguya Sama Love is War Season 2. Highly recommend it. Check it out. It's also on Spotify. Just saying. It's a very (laughs) good song. Ah, so big, I'm a genie, 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 I'